This podcast is created in partnership with Film Studies and the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney. We acknowledge the tradition of custodianship and law of the country on which the University of Sydney campuses stand, as well as the Darug people, where we all grew up. We pay our respects to those who have cared for and continue to care for country. I wish I knew how to quit. I see all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm gonna go, do you want me to go f***ing flash your lights? Take two. Film Verse Film. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Film Verse Film episode that appears to be playing out across the world as the two most anticipated films of 2023 are released a day apart. And audiences are flocking to the cinema like they haven't done in years. Yes, it's an exciting time for film and an exciting time for three nerdy boys from Western Sydney. Welcome to Film vs Film, the podcast where every episode we throw two different films into the ring, discuss their place in history and their modern virtues and how they stack up against each other. Which film will hold up and which film will be left on the cutting room floor. Today it's Barbieheimer as we look at two films that seem to be polar opposites. One is about an iconic doll brought to life, and the other is about the biggest weapon of mass destruction of all time. Both films are about a character dealing with a giant ontological shift in their world, and both films are made by extremely well-regarded auteurs. And to top it off, both films are on track to mass large amounts of cash at the box office. My name is Craig Anderson and I'm a filmmaker who had no trouble putting together a pink ensemble to see Barbie in the cinema. Joining me today, as always, are my two best friends from high school, a man who has no trouble explaining quantum physics to strangers on the bus. It's our <laughs> resident scientist and political historian, Herschel Isaac. You know what I missed out on? Mm. You guys got any friends who stood inside of a Barbie box at a screening? Mm. Have you seen the boxes? I saw one at no. Bondi Junction. I haven't gotten a yeah. chance to stand in one. That's While my dream. you watch the movie. No, no, you... <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I, no, no, I don't that, know what a Barbie you're box is. Like at the end of um, Logan's a, Run or what is it? Um, <laughs> it's a big box Soylent and you green. stand in it and you get a photo taken. Oh, no, I didn't... Yeah, well, it's like I, a cool merchandise. I saw Barbie at Dendi and it was, a, it was probably a bit lower key. All right, well, I haven't introduced okay, you. Also so joining us is an academic who's very interested in the ethical positions and political implications of both of today's films, Herschel's twin brother and the associate professor at the University of Sydney, Bruce Isaacs. Hello, Craig. I was just thinking, Herschel is the kind of person <laughs> who engages strangers in conversations uh, I think about it's quantum theory. Yeah. I did that 15 minutes ago on the bus coming in here. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> no, I didn't know it. I was sitting next to a person and um, post-COVID, if you sit next to a person sitting by themselves on the bus, you mm. get the dirty look. Oh. So I wasn't getting the quantum physics vibe, I was getting the vibe. Get off! Don't get get up me. as soon as possible. Don't. Which is a common vibe for you, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. All right, listeners, you need to brace yourself as this is the matchup that saw sparks fly on the weekend as the three of us caught up at a barbecue and found ourselves in a three-way drunken yelling match about the <laughs> ethics and politics of both films. <laughs> Boys, I hope we can maintain some civility for this recording. I will try. <laughs> All right, now we grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney and spent all our free time watching movies. Boys, now's the time I'd like to remind you of another great film from Mattel from our childhood. It's the canon-released masterpiece of 1987, Masters of the Universe. Oh, yes. Did you boys ever see that? I did see that, and... Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Dolph Lundgren mm-hmm. the, yeah, the lead character? He's That's, he, man. Now, speak, well... It intersects perfectly with Oppenheimer because Dolph Lundgren, I believe, has a degree in physics from the University of Sydney. 
Chemistry, chemistry, chemistry. Dolph Lundgren is a genius. Dolph Lundgren has a chemistry degree. So he's one of an alumni of of this university. Yes. Um, I believe (laughs) he met uh, Grace Grace Jones Jones while she was on tour year. Oh, Yeah, for View to a Kill. Uh, Yeah, and that's... He was already going out with her then. Because Dolph Lundgren... I think he got the gig on A View to a Kill because of Grace Jones. Dolph Lundgren was an extra in A View to a Kill without any any on-screen... Dialogue, yeah, 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 no lines, dialogue. Yeah. yeah, and then he picks up the guy and he throws him over at the horse races. Yes, yes. well, we've got Gro- Grog and Flicks, our favorite video store. I remember it had one copy of Masters of the Universe. I mean, that that movie has since become a bit of a cult film, right? Because um, He Man was. Yeah. I mean, I now wear a Master of the Universe T-shirt. I just got a well, uh, hang on. Kmart, like, right? Based on this film or just a cartoon T-shirt? No, from... cartoon T-shirt. Yeah, right. But what, what was interesting was I've worn it, right? And I've had several strangers come up to me and go, whoa, what a T-shirt. I've got an excellent Skeletor T-shirt. Can I say that Frank Langella as Skeletor is one of my favorite yes. villain performances ever. In fact, Frank Langella also says it's one of his best performances that he's ever done. It's really important that it's canon because canon uh, was a big part of a certain kind of aesthetic sensibility. Mm-hmm. And what I love about Master of the Universe is it's, it doesn't look clean and polished. It's cheesy, right? And that's exactly what you can say for Flash as well, Flash Gordon. You know Flash the, Gordon has got this wacky but Flash Gordon excess aims, of camp. It aims for that. It's got art deco yeah, style yeah, yeah. and stuff. I mean, Flash but Gordon is very explicit. I don't know if you there. remember Master of the Universe. Like when they're back on... Um, Eternia, the, the, the yeah. planet they're on, yeah. it's just a wasteland, yeah. which is very uh, canon to yes. go to a dystopic wasteland, which it's, means... They probably use that wasteland in half their films. Yeah. Well, it's just 20Ks out of Hollywood that yeah. they're shooting in a desert or somewhere. <laughs> and then there's they come back to a small town in America where Courtney Cox lives, and there's a guy who plays a keyboard, and, and <laughs> the, the masters of the universe just rock up in the middle of town, and it's all set in like a gremlin-style small yeah, yeah, town. Yeah. So they didn't even bother to do any sword and sorcery Sandal yeah. thing. It's just in a small town. And with at, those at the heroes. time, Master of the Universe is massive, right? Mm. I just want to go back to Dolph Lundgren again, <laughs> please. <laughs> and because we're discussing Oppenheimer today and quantum mechanics, is going to come up at some point. Oh boy! There's an alternate universe where Dolph Lundgren is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is Dolph Lundgren. Speaking of canon, and a good way into Schwarzenegger is Conan the Barbarian. In yeah. the canon is Conan the Barbarian, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Well. Can you imagine if Lundgren could just act just a little bit better? I mean, I don't think he's that bad. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine. Have you seen... When last have you seen Conan the Barbarian? I mean, it's, it's not like <laughs> it's Schwarzenegger's hard. method acting It's you, hard right? to believe he ever went on to anything. <laughs> but, okay, so the, the only issue with Dolph Lundgren is that when they asked him to be serious, that's when he fell apart. Like, he can't... Yeah. He's got no range. He's got zero range. Well, he did so, go to... In Rocky IV, right? He's just a machine. He's just a... Yeah, but, he, but he's uh, believable because yeah. he's only no, got about... Good, is. When yeah. he well, he's got about 50 words in the whole movie. the, the Politburo, mm. there's actually some solid emotion there in that final Yeah, but things start to break down. Ford. Remember, and this is going back quite a way, Bruce, you and I, we got this at Grog and Flicks and we mm. were so excited about this. Remember Dolph Lundgren made a little movie called, what was it, Angel? Dark Angel. Dark Angel. Oh, okay. yeah. It Dark. had a different title in the States. In Australia and the UK, it was called Dark Angel. I watched it recently. Talk what? about unwatchable. What? Okay, it's so awful. So, I found oh, wow. it on. Um, I found it on Tubi. Now the other big thing that annoyed me in the Master of the Universe film was there was a character called Gwillem because I don't think at the time they could work out how to do Orko the ghost, who was such a big part of the cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This little oh, okay. guy that brings up in that, that pink um, cape, it's like with a yeah, big with o a little on hat. It. He looked. Yeah. He was halfway a Smurf, 
and a sword, but he floated. Well, there's a character in the Cosby Kids cartoon, um, Fat Albert, where there yeah. was you couldn't see his mm. face because he's, he's cancelled. Cancelled yeah, subsequently. <laughs> well, Orca Gwillem should be cancelled because it was this weird little. Um, he's more like an Ewok meets an ogre instead of <laughs> yeah. Orca. And I thought, like, what the hell is this guy? Where's Might that or- word come from Gollum? Gollum. <laughs> oh, Gwillem. Oh. Probably the same thing. Yeah, well, I, Gan- I, I, I don't know if there's a lot of ingenuity in, the, in that character. Who um, directed Master of the Universe? Um, I remember looking up, that was his debut film, and then it was mostly TV or computer game stuff after okay, that. So it was an action guy. That so they didn't, the studio didn't pick someone, like Canon didn't no, go, let's no, go with a big name. No, or anything. Okay. No. Tell me if you guys remember this. Remember watching Master of the Universe before going to school in the morning? Yes. And they would alternate Shearer and He-Man. Yes, mm-hmm. so those you, are the you, best and, days. Okay, so... Do you guys remember there was a little game you could play where you'd watch the whole episode and they go, did you see where, and there was a character. Yeah, yeah. Well, Orko. Orko, there was Orko, yeah, that's, Orko yeah. would ask you, yeah. Yeah, like, where, did you and, spot this? And then, and then he'd give you a little life lesson at the and end. And we'd watch it, Bruce, eating our porridge, right? Yeah. Getting ready to go to school in the morning. Mm. And we'd go, when we'd see it, we'd go, oh, man, that's awesome. We found Orko. That, that was so yeah. good. It was just uh, the old days. Good memories. So now Mattel, which is branding itself as a huge mm. film studio, especially off the back of the success of Barbie, mm. is going to do a Master of the Universe film. They've announced that. A new one. Is that serious? Yes. And someone said something about Knock 'em Sock 'em, like another property they have. They're going to be, they've announced two films as well as Masters of the Universe. Well, one of the things when we come to Barbie that I was interested in talking about is the way toys uh, become potentially huge property that yeah. can translate to the movies. So, you know, for example, Transformers. Right, look what Transformers yeah, has done yeah, as a yeah. franchise. We're talking several billion dollars. I think the worst one was Battleship. <laughs> yeah, Battleship never, yeah, but yeah. Battleship Battleship never did got that make any though. money? Oh, I don't know, but it was made. No, yeah. literally no one ever need. saw it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As always, today's episode will be full of spoils for both of the films we're discussing. And if other films pop up as we chat, we will do our best not to ruin them for you. All right. Let's get into it. Take one. First up on today's show, it's Oppenheimer 2023. Christopher Nolan began his career making independent thrillers, then used the Warner Brothers-owned character of Batman to catapult his career and become the biggest auteur of blockbusters of the modern era. Oppenheimer is Nolan's 12th feature film and comes only a few years after the pandemic-era release of his last action, uh, Brain Twister, Tenet. (laughs) The story is set across multiple time periods and follows the life of Robert Oppenheimer, played by Killian Murphy the American scientist who developed the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, taking the world into the atomic era. The film presents us with a character who was plagued by his actions, hounded by critics, played chiefly by Robert Downey Jr., a man concerned with two lovers, played by Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh, and the attempted poisoner of his supervisor, and most importantly, as a guy who once had a chat with a hatless Einstein. The film is shot entirely in the large format of IMAX with certain scenes requiring Kodak to develop its first ever black and white film stock for IMAX cameras. The film is Nolan's longest running film at 180 minutes and has performed well at the box office, making somewhere between one third and one half of what Barbie has made in its opening weekend. Herschel, talk to us about Oppenheimer and Bruce, you try to keep your opinions to yourself <laughs> until Herschel is done. I'm not going to say a bloody done. word now. All right, let's go. I find it really challenging even to, to, to sum up, I guess, what I think about the movie. Every Nolan movie that I've ever seen has, for me, benefited massively by subsequent viewing. So most Nolan movies I've seen probably three times or more. 
we should say we saw it together. We saw it together the at first the premiere. Screening. Yeah, we at went the to premiere. a premiere. We got which was a lot of fun. Well, we did. There were free drinks and some of us. The, the, what was the way it? I described the, it was the, at the, one point <laughs> when I came back from getting more drinks and and Bruce and Craig had already gotten <laughs> drinks and and we we sending out people like their errand boys to go and get more <laughs> drinks. When I came back to our seats, it looked like a bar. <laughs> Our armrests were covered you guys in like really dainty, lovely Rydell glasses. You'd started gaming and so I, as soon as I got there, I just went three champagnes immediately. <laughs> three champagnes in seven minutes. And then, and so like the, the truth is with the, with the film of this complexity. Um, you've seen it again though. No, right? I haven't. Okay, so I have I, seen Bruce it has seen it twice. Bruce has seen so, it twice. So that's going to be important for our conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I've seen it once. So my impression, I don't trust it myself, but I do have a few things to say. First thing is this. You may wonder why you're even listening to what Ursula <laughs> yeah. has to say. First thing is this. The, the subject matter of, of this movie is, is the first point of contention. One is the whole story is a remarkable story. Now, here's the, here's the tricky thing for me. I I'm, I'm actually became really interested in, the, in, in the, the Manhattan Project and the science that led up to it. So 20th century atomic physics all the way through to the Manhattan Project. I, I, that stuff fascinated me. I read Richard Rhodes' uh, The Making of the Atomic Forever, Bomb. Forever, right? Not because of this film. No, 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 no been, way yeah. before. Like, so, yeah. so I read Richard Rhodes' uh, Pulitzer Prize winner 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's about 1,000 pages long, incredible detail. Wow. The, the thing is, Oppenheimer isn't that, in my mind, isn't that special to this entire period. That's that's one of the issues I've got with this movie. You mean the historical character, right? That is such a great point, right? I gotta admit, I didn't think the move, I know it was called Oppenheimer, but I was thinking the movie was gonna be about the Manhattan Project. But see, I'm coming into this, see, see, Mm -hmm. that sort of goes to the point that I'm making, so I wanna contrast it with two other movies right up front. For our listeners out there, and I don't know if either of you have seen it, but the Neil Armstrong movie starring Ryan Gosling, I don't know if anyone's seen Armstrong, Mm -hmm. Armstrong, no. Um, no. Second movie... First the r- Man, it's called. First, first, man. first Man, sorry, yes. yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Second movie going back further, Philip Kaufman, The Right Stuff. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, now, consider wonderful. this. Consider these two perspectives. One film is about uh, the space race. That's um, the right that's stuff. That's the right stuff. Yeah. You've got... It's a political film. It's also about a technological race, a space, which is a lot of people actually compare to the atomic race. You don't get to know John Glenn or Armstrong or all those people. Armstrong came a bit later in the, in, in, in the Saturn Project. You don't get to know him that well. It's more interested in the politics and, and the history and the factual history behind that. But if you go back to First Man, the Neil Armstrong film, that's about Neil Armstrong, his insecurities, the anxiety that he dealt with. It, it, it shows you um, the therapy that he has to have. And this is, this is a guy who is about as successful, as successful as you can get in that context. One is a character study. The other is an historical piece. They're both fantastic movies. The issue that I had with the film is that it's trying to be so many things that it isn't one thing. It's unsuccessful in attempting to be everything else. A couple of things um, in relation to that. You might say that Oppenheimer, and I don't know, people are going to find this offensive if they view Oppenheimer as this doyen of, of atomic physics, but he's more in historically depicted as a project manager. Now, he may have been an amazing project manager. I'm not saying that. But, you know, the I, I once went on a course, and, and, and one of the examples he gave of an astonishing project manager was the person who had oversight of the building the International Space Station. And that's unbelievable. I'm not taken away from that. Mm-hmm. But Oppenheimer didn't really reach any heights in physics or in quantum mechanics, although he came, he came into quantum electrodynamics and he, and, he, and he made some contributions, but minor contributions. 
Well, the film doesn't say... Like, I was thinking, I didn't know anything about Oppenheimer, mm. but I thought I was going to see, like, a beautiful... I thought I'd see a guy at a whiteboard or a chalkboard at some point in this movie, which I felt like I didn't see too much of. I just felt like I mean, there, there was a lot of scenes, organizing the, and The talking. film seems to make the case that he brings quantum theory to America. Right. But it clearly isn't part of that European wave of, like, incredible pioneers, right? And he that are coming in the wave after Einstein and his generation. And he struggled to find an academic home. So the way, the way it all worked back then was you got a recommendation, a strong reference from people like Einstein and stuff, mm. and then you ended up working at MIT or wherever it was. He struggled to catch on. So that's true. That is depicted early on where he's the fish out of water to some extent. That's when he, when he you know, the attempted murder, that, that, mm. uh, which the is characterized differently and slightly differently in history. It's, well, it's, it's Herschel told disputed me in history quite a bit. In fact, oh. he was discovered to have done this. Yes. So, so that's a known. That's he, a known. He almost got expelled. Oh, so it wasn't like, <coughs> hang on. Did the guy bite the apple? Is it no, 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 no. So, so it, it it did come out. Robert Oppenheimer is from a, a rich, powerful family, and technically, in other hands, it could have been an attempted murder because the facts were were discovered. So, I mean, that is an interesting thing. But Oppenheimer, there was another incident where he, he physically beat up a person what? in his college pretty <laughs> okay. badly, and, okay. and so Oppenheimer is that's a fascinating part of his life. Mm-hmm. But then we move into the atomic physics, and that's where I think the movie really fails, and that's where I thought it was going to be a little bit better, especially given Christopher Nolan and his past interest in science and tenant mm. and these sorts of things. The, I think the Manhattan Project was substantially different in the day-to-day process of it than what's depicted in the movie. So it's not Oppenheimer. Like, you, you know, the, well, for me, it feels a little bit silly and, and contrived where all the scientists are coming in, and they've got the one-liners coming in, mm-hmm, and the yeah, person yeah. goes, have you thought of this? Now, there was collaboration like this, but... There were lots of cool things happening. Like there, there were scenes, like photographs of people in lecture theaters talking about the building of the atomic bomb. And some of those people are the most famous physicists in the world. But I think Nolan misses a trick there. Or at least certainly I wanted to see that I, stuff. I know that when I watched it, the thing, I, I feel like there's an hour on either side I don't really know. Maybe I was mm. didn't get uh, or I don't know how I'm supposed to respond. But I definitely felt like Matt Damon arrives and says, we've got to beat the Nazis to build a bomb. And I'm like, yeah, now we're doing it. <laughs> and then they do a test with a bomb. And I'm like, yeah. And then everything on either side, I'm like, I don't know what yeah. that is. I don't you know, know I want to go back to the point you started with Herschel because everything you're saying to me is spot on. The movie plays out as an individualist narrative, right? And like, if you think about American cinema, this is what they thrive in. So the historical biopic is 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 the stuff that they've always gone to. Mm. You name me, name any a big American biopic where you're talking about collectives or institutions, or you're re, you you know say all the president's men. But that's part of the 1970s New Hollywood, right? That's experimental. And that's stuff. Like, that's critical studies of absolutely. That's and that's and that's where you're thinking, well, this is doing a kind of um, investigation from cinema. But I was surprised at how much Oppenheimer was about the 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 sort of the rise, the development, and depending on how you read the ending of the film, the potential fall of a single man. Mm. What I find problematic about that is. Clearly, this narrative is not about a single man, and it's it's as if at times it's contriving to be a narrative about a single no. man. Actually, let me continue on from that then, because I've actually got something in my notes here which follows on directly from that. So for me, it's actually not about Oppenheimer. Now, you can put Oppenheimer's name on it because you can brand it easily as Oppenheimer. But if you take Oppenheimer out of the equation, the dude that actually came up 
with a way to create the chain reaction so that you get more energy out of one transaction than than less energy, so mm-hmm. that you continue it. Mm. Is, the, is the guy named Leo Zillard, okay? He was buddies with H.G. Wells. So he's in the movie, but, br- but he's not <coughs> very briefly. So you're like Oppenheimer out of it, and if you just said to Leo Zillard, hey, do you want the gig? He loved it. He, he, he was like that sort of person, right? Mm. I don't think you can hang this film on Oppenheimer, and, and Nolan has attempted to do that. So instead, I want to offer an alternate that we can hang ourselves on. This okay. is like your quantum alternate, alternate universe. Well, I was doing a bunch of reading. Is this an alternate reading or an no. alternate movie? No, 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 just a different way of looking at it. I think okay. a more useful okay. way of looking at it. Go for it. Um, I was reading a bunch of <laughs> these podcasts get so complicated. I just <laughs> yesterday I was editing the the future one Spider Man versus yeah. everything ever, and my brain is just melting as I'm doing. <laughs> All right, let's hear this alternate reading. I don't think it's about Oppenheimer, right? And I don't think Nolan. I think Nolan, when when I'm when I finish what I'm about to say, Nolan would go, spot on. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, what I'm saying. Is, okay, look, um, I think it's a movie about power. Okay, but but I was thinking then. It occurs to me like a metaphor, right? But it's like the liberation of power. Now, the the, atom, the splitting of the atom was like the liberation of, of nuclear power. Mm. You would unlock the power inside an atom to create an explosion or what we now use, you know, nuclear power throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also liberating power from different systems and from different politicians. And the way power is moved from one group to another and who holds the power and who doesn't hold the power and who vies for it. So I find the relationship between Oppenheimer and Leslie Groves, which was the Matt Damon character, I don't think Nolan got that. Because when you read up historically on that, it's a fundamental relationship. One guy's military, and the other guy's a scientist. And and I did get that reading for that one hour in the middle that I got uh, understood a bit. Because like he puts the bombs in the crates and waves goodbye, I know. and then it Matt Damon tragic. goes, um, "Yeah, sure, we won't bomb anyone." <laughs> and he goes, "Well, I hope you don't." But I also like when Oppenheimer says, "Maybe I should come to Washington with you." Yeah, and, and talk Matt to Damon someone. just pauses and says, "What for?" <laughs> you know, he he has no idea what this guy's talking yeah. about. You know, thank you, Mister. Uh, you know, Doctor Oppenheimer will take it from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like I, that. I, 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 yeah, I think that they didn't quite get the Groves Oppenheimer. Dynamic because right. it's 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 a fascinating one. Oppenheimer was insulating all the other scientists from Groves because he was so angry with them, because they were never on the same page. Mm. Like even as a as a young consultant, Richard Feynman was in the came in on the project, mm. and he thought that Groves was nuts. He, he he thought he was absolutely mad. So Oppenheimer was very much a project manager, a people manager to get this across the line. But the genius of it resided with. Like they're really special people, which I don't think Nolan depicts adequately. Now, I haven't even touched on some of the other fragmented things in this. I don't think Oppenheimer's wife, played by Emily Blunt, or Florence Pugh, his lover, um, I don't think they have they're given a significant enough role in the film. Because if they were central to Oppenheimer, I don't think Nolan captured that. I just don't think that worked. They're as well. more like bouncing boards or decoration. Than yeah, I, I don't know what I, 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 I don't know. I don't get that. Interested in the Twitter universe over the last week or so since I saw it, and people are posting all these things like, "Who's going to get best actor? Is mm. it Downey Jr.? Is it you know? Should Emily Blunt get nominated?" And I remember the three of us coming out, and the first thing I said was. How come there's so many famous movie stars in roles where they've got about, you know, Rami one minute? Malik? Yeah, what's going yeah, what's on with Rami Malik? Malik thing threw me. Yeah. I thought he was picking up his James Bond bad guy thing. <laughs> just turned up no, for no but also, reason. But so many people are saying, wow, that Casey Affleck, three minutes, I'll never forget it. Okay, there's a lot of hype around this movie. I like what you're saying. I also 
This is very Nolan, right? We, I can't. What did? What were we talking about? Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. I think of Nolan. Sorry, as a which guy. we've done on this podcast. Oh, sorry, on this podcast, one. season one, we do Dark Knight versus Batman from Tim. Batman Burton. from Tim Burton. Yeah. So one of the arguments I put in that podcast was Nolan as a filmmaker is is a he, he's a puzzler. He forms puzzles and he solves puzzles for you. But in my notes on Oppenheimer, I've written, is it enough to present an art form of cinema as a puzzle? I don't think it is. Puzzles are not an art form, right? Puzzles are a way oh, of placing what about things mis- together. Mysteries, Agatha Christie. No, no, I don't. I, no, no, I'm talking literally puzzles. I'm saying oh. he's taking segments of things, yeah, and he's chunking them together. He's fitting things in. So I don't think the Emily Blunt narrative fits organically with the Oppenheimer narrative. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure what's going on with the Florence Pugh character. What are you trying to... Y- yes, Oppenheimer famously, historically, had major neuroses, suffered depression. When he was in the UK, had major bouts of depression. You need to give me some of that for me to understand the thematic or character significance of it. But none of it's there. I don't get what's going on with Emily Blunt. I, I love Emily Blunt. I think she's amazing. She's she's such a cardboard cutout of the long-suffering wife who has to support her powerful husband. But no one's always criticised for husband. that, for that peripheral right. sort of... I mean, she's, she's got that. that killer scene in the final interrogation where yeah. she, you know, she turns well, that's on... What, that's what, I'm on, like, where was that throughout the whole film? Yeah. Like, what was this story? That is yeah, but that's also Nolan wanting to have every aspect of every story that can possibly exist. Mm. Like, the, what I prefer to view this as, it's trying to capture, like, I think it's a period of, of, of like, monstrous and unconstrained invention, right? By, by un- incredibly successful intellectuals. And what I've got here, we've got the smartest nerds in the world but they're equally the most naive people. And, you know, at the time, after the bombs dropped, there were a whole bunch of people in Europe, uh, physicists who worked at that end, which you don't really see much, but there's, there was work going on over there as well. And um, they were arrested, and they were in a farmhouse. And while having breakfast, mm. um, they were allowed to listen to the radio, and it was announced that the bomb was dropped, and they couldn't believe it. So what do you mean they couldn't they, they couldn't believe that it was used they had worked on the on the ah. physics and and the, and the, and and that sort of thing mm. but the fact that it could be used a lot of people believe that that was a genuine belief that that these people have but then you're talking about gross naivety and you could ask whether Oppenheimer is in that cap or was or was Oppenheimer was thinking this is the coolest tool, well, the, toy you, of all time you think of like spotlight or uh, films yeah. I um all the prisoners where yeah. everyone's like well, we're a team and we're investigating or we're solving things. Yep. And we know that we have to. Even you look at something like The Thing. I know it's mm. science fiction. But it's a group of people trying to sort out a problem yep. before the problem gets to them. That, I thought, could have been what this movie was going to be. And I would have loved to hear them constantly debating what they are doing well, and that's should what they I thought, be doing. Matt, how many times does Matt Damon say in this movie, you know, first after two, after one and a half years, he goes, that's $1 billion and... You know, so many people. Yeah, and then, numbers, it, and then yeah. a few years later, it's like, and then a year and a half later, $2 billion, 4,000 people. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, well, give me one overhead shot of how big this whole thing is. Right? <laughs> I wanted the scale. I wanted the sense yeah, of they never the enormity that. of a collective effort. I hated how they were dropping the marbles into history. The, you know, the marbles dropping into well, the Well, that's bowl. really all we get. Like, I, we, I didn't like that at all. It's almost as if we get these objects that stand in for massive historical moments and development and, co- and right? complexity. So I'm yes. not saying you can capture all the complexity, mm. but I think Nolan, you got, you got to pick and choose. And I think he sometimes gets it massively wrong in terms of what he chooses to depict of the complexity of the situation. <laughs> the other talking point on that relates to what you just said, Craig. Mm. So for me, there is massive value in this as a cautionary tale. 
right? Because we know that historically scientists will pursue investigation and curiosity and potential at any expense. We can't even in an age of AI now, and you know, if some commentators are to be believed, you know, our, our species has got like 12 months left before, before Cyberdyne Systems takes us over. But a cautionary tale of how far people will go to achieve an end, regardless of what the consequences might be, that's where this film has its real strength. That's, I want to see it again, but I want to view it through that lens. I'm less interested in Oppenheimer as the communist because historically that's actually quite uneven. Mm. Um, he, he sort of waxes and wanes in terms I of mean, his... The movie waxes and wanes on it a bit, though. Like, for example, I was also surprised that why didn't the film explore his Jewishness further? See, I thought that could have been a lot more Remember we were in cinema for that one line and we turned to each other because it felt on the nose. He's sitting in a train carriage in Europe and then he goes, it's not my people that yeah. are being put so into it. So like, there's like, like one line and I thought, because I know a little bit about the Jewish history and mm. the, um, the scientists who were, you know, um, fired from their jobs, imprisoned, some of them killed. And the effort to bring people over, right, to, in a sense, save science, right, save the European science. I would love to have seen that. I guess, like a lot of Nolan, I think this is so compartmentalized as a movie. And yeah, there's a, nothing wrong with that, right? That's but it's one. it's so much Nolan. Nolan is a, a kind of compartmentalist. Um, and I've got I have nothing against that. It seems to, hey, it, it sells at the box office at the moment if he's... Track record and and to we go have to on. admit, some of it's staggering to look at. Yes, like that. That's. Oh, I got to say, on a second viewing, crazy, right? I said to Herschel, um, "The uh, detonation at Los Alamos yes. is exquisite. That's fantastic. I wish the, the whole movie just was that." I've also got to say, <laughs> I don't just one explosion. Yeah, why not? Okay. Why not? I'm with you. Why not push that mm. into a far stronger central section? condense the fact that you're trying to c- think about how much of Oppenheimer it's almost like they do in a Tom Wolfe a man in full I'm going to have the entirety of this man's existence no I want Oppenheimer over the creation of the bomb over the politics of that moment uh, um, when the Japanese are maybe going to surrender maybe not surrender and then what comes afterward but instead he crams everything in I know it's three hours that movie that needs to be a 10 episode Netflix series mm. It really does. I guess I, one final thing that I am very confident of, and that is that Killian Murphy is just yeah, staggering on in this movie. On a second viewing, I thought he was a, a st- Also, one thing I lost, because I think we were all a little bit heady, was <laughs> at the very end of the film, I think it's Nolan's best ending to a film he's ever made. It's truly beautiful. The, I mean, and he talks, when he's talking to Einstein. When he yeah. talks to Einstein and... Remember Robert Downey Jr. Because this is very Nolan. He wants to sh- he wants to do double perspectives, spatially yeah. and temporally, right? He's always doing this stuff. So I like that he doesn't overdo it here as well. All he sa- all he shows in the first time is Robert Downey Jr. walks up the first time we see it, and he says to um, when Einstein walks off, he s- he says to Oppenheimer, "What did you say to him? You know, uh, to make mm. him he seems really angry." And Oppenheimer says, oh, no, he's fine. You'll just let him go. And then we see the same scene, but now from the reverse angle, we see the conversation. And it's just Oppenheimer saying, you know how you warned that maybe we would create the worst uh, destruction and create the end of the world? And then Oppenheimer just says, maybe we did. And he just stares, and we, we cut to a kind of, you know, obviously the, the idea is the projection of his vision of the bombs dropping mm-hmm. and the earth kind of lighting with fire. And then he just closes his eyes and we go to black. And that was stunning. I mean, that was so moving, right? I have a question for both of you. 
Huh? Did the film have... Like, politically, I think this is a complicated movie. When, when I say complicated, I think it's... I find it challenging to, to, to try to figure out where I sit with it, right? I don't think this is in any way Nolan glorifying Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is a sort of tragic figure year, right? I think there's a lot of hubris... There's a lot of wanting to be the big man who's going to do this. And that's Oppenheimer's entire life. Yeah, and, and I think, you know what, I think Nolan does a good job of that. My question is, if we want to take a step back to institutional and global politics, can't we get a shot of the bombs dropping in an extreme high angle yes. on Hiroshima and yep. Nagasaki? That's what I said. Why there's, not? There's also, there's also archival footage of the bomb in the bay. And okay, so, so yeah. why can't we show the materiality of what weapons do to people at any point? Why does it have to stay in abstraction? Now, I've got to say it's one of the most glorious abstractions. When we cut to his eye projection and it's the earth with the fire going, it's like, oh, this is it, – he's sort of riffing on the Los Alamos explosions, mm. right? And I get it. That's aesthetically so beautiful. But what about what we know happened, right? What about we, we also know that, that the scientists did not predict it and the government did not forecast the amount of death, the amount of devastation. And I just read in an article just today that two days after the dropping of the bomb, 85% of the American public were ecstatic with what the president had uh, determined. But a year later, after a massive study was done of the damage the negativity just went, it skyrocketed and support fell through the floor. And of course, there's been debate ever since. All I'm saying is, if he's going to tell the story and you're seeking objectivity, isn't it, couldn't it have been a little bit ethically your responsibility? Just give me a shot to show me the bomb going. Then I know it's not an abstract thing in history. This happened. This caused a lot of trouble. I think that's a really diff- I think it's a tricky question. I think it's a good question. I think uh, it's a really well, difficult question. The other night, I felt like you would say no to it. I would say yes. I say that's what it was. Missing. The re- the reason I okay look the reason is because the atomic bombs generate such an emotive response. Yes. Now, if we go back in history and we look at, for example, the development of chemical weapons and mm. the way that was first developed and first used on people, mm. on innocent people. If you depict that, it would be unwatchable. How terrible that was. No, but at the same time, in fact, I got in my notes here. The cleanliness and the abstract nature of Nolan's Oppenheimer, I compare with one of my favorite movies, Apocalypse Now, where, and I know that's critical of the Vietnam War, but the opening shot of that is the dropping of the napalm, right, on, on, uh, mm-hmm. on, on the forest. And the, the no, knowing here, this is what the Americans came to do. And all I'm saying is that at least says to me, this is what we did. This is what we're responsible mm. for. Like, I, I'm not saying Oppenheimer's guilty. I'm not saying the Americans did the wrong thing. I don't know enough about history. All I'm saying is show me the other side as part of the dramatic um, narrative that, that, you, that you're setting yeah, up. Yeah, no, I, I can't see that position because that's factual. That's, that's a factual that would be a factual depiction because yeah. it, it actually happened. Um, I, I do find it I, I do find a little bit problematic and, and complicated. I mean, for example, something Nolan doesn't really depict in this is, you know, the whole idea that, okay, if we don't do it, then the Germans are going to get the bomb and then yeah. the, the Germans use mm-hmm. the bomb. That at the time was a massive thing. And the reason it was a massive thing is because it was unknown whether Werner Heisenberg had joined as the, the lead mm. atomic uh, uh, specialist over in, in, the, in, the, in the Nazi party. So 
if that was true, and and it's actually for our listeners out there, it's, it remains one of the, the the big mysteries of this entire period. What was Heisenberg's role, right? Because this is the person who created, who discovered the uncertainty mm. principle in quantum mechanics, all that sort of thing. But a lot of people in the West believe that if Heisenberg was the person or the Oppenheimer for the Germans, that they had to get there first because. Um, German German scientists uh, first mm. um, created the, the the split of the uranium atom. So, look, I, the, the history around the atomic bomb is incredibly emotive. But about one hundred thousand people died, one hundred ten thousand and twenty thousand people mm. per dropping of the bomb yeah. on the two cities. And you know, this like we were saying this the other night. One of the issues I've got is that history doesn't depict some of the terrible things that were done. By the Allies, in, yeah. in, they they don't tell you about the Dres- they don't depict the Dresden bombings, which were like creating a vacuum around the city, which just pulled fire in and just wiped out mm. people like crazy, huge numbers, unbelievable numbers, right? So I, but historically, yes, I think it should be it should have been shown. I, I mean, I, but I'll historically, but I think aesthetically, it would have been a beautiful thing for this film. I, well, I, it's it's what he wants in that final moment with the bombs going off. Around the world in his projected future yeah. of mad, you know, mutually yeah. assured destruction. But well, you, we actually have that footage, dude. You could yeah, have shown I mean, what happened in yeah, Japan. Yeah, we can abstract to this thing. Yeah, or it's like, like it's, it's like he knows it's safer and it's not going to get him well, into any safer, trouble right? to show a, an imagined future for this guy as opposed to what he actually did. Well, th- I like that you say that. Nolan has always felt, and this is not a, a genuine criticism, but Nolan feels like a safe filmmaker to me. You know, I think politically and often artistically quite safe. So for, for everything I've said here, I can't think of a movie that I've seen in years where I can't wait to see it a second time. Yeah. So even well, let's though... let's go this weekend. I want to see it a second time. Yep. Uh, you know, Universal uh, sent me five double passes to it. Oh, but I gave good. it to the students. Oh, oh come on. Nice. I did that's this awesome thing. That's good stuff. It's good and, stuff. Uh, it went in like uh, 30 minutes. It was thank you to the students for answering. They had, I sent them... Uh, a slide of 10 uh, cryptic images from movies, and they had to guess them. Oh, yes. Tell me their favorite film and why they took film studies. Oh, that's awesome fun. And in one of them, which was uh, Power of the Dog, it was the image of the landscape with the dog. I said, you have to describe directing my eyes to see the dog in the landscape. And they got it quickly. It was great. Wow. Yeah. Good work, students. <laughs> Keep on studying. Stay in school. Stay in Keep school. off the drugs. <laughs> hey, what's that was like, uh, just I, say just no. A very quick digression. Uh, Kramer, when he's on Regis and Kathy Lee, <laughs> when he says, now you kids, you stay in school. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our second film. Take two. 2023's Barbie. Barbie is Greta Gerwig's fourth feature film, following up from 2019's Oscar-winning Little Women. Miss Gerwig's debut film was the coming-of-age indie smash hit Lady Bird, and just as Christopher Nolan did at this point in his career, she's now jumping on the Hollywood IP train to create a blockbuster. Barbie follows the journey of stereotypical Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, who realises that she no longer fits inside the Barbie world and is told it is because the girl who owns her is going through a crisis. Together, her and the guy who is really, really into her, named Ken, played by Ryan Gosling, travel to the real world where they meet a young girl and her mother, which she then brings back to her world. Upon their return, they discover that Ken, who has since discovered the patriarchy (laughs) in the real world, has bought it back and taught it to everyone inside Barbie world, turning the gender norms of that world on their head. 
Barbie must now do everything she can to reteach the other Barbies how to be strong, independent women and overturn Ken's haphazard world. The film ends with Barbie still grappling with her place in the world and deciding that she must live in the real world and for the final beat of the film, visit a gynecologist. (laughs) The film presents issues of womanhood, gender, consumerism and exists on several meta planes with references to the toy manufacturer and producing studio Mattel as well as a narrator who references the filmmakers themselves. The film had the biggest three-day opening of 2023 and is on the way to make $1 billion. I'm just going to say that. I don't know if it's true, but <laughs> I don't know. $1 billion. I think that's I mean, actually predicted. Yeah, we're, we're only like um, now we're in six days, seven days after its release in this country. It might do a bit more than a billion. I and and it's and it's going large. It's, it's definitely on the way Can to Can I just say something quickly? What are we? This is week two, weekend two for, for Australia, right? Weekend yes. number two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lockie, my son... He's going with three friends to see Barbie mm-hmm. at event cinemas on the extreme screen this afternoon. Yeah. And every session is sold out. And the reason they're in Bondi Junction, which for our listeners, I know that's a long way from, kind of a long way from where we live, is that every session is sold out everywhere for Saturday afternoon evening. I, I had a which similar experience. I'm going again with the, the, the family I live with um, yeah. tomorrow, yeah. Sunday night. And six, five days out? It was booked out the VMAX yeah. in, in George incredible? Street. So you know, the, had to, you know yeah. the last time I remember this? If we go back to Terminator 2, remember how everything yeah. was sold out? And or Matrix, Matrix Reloaded. Matrix Reloaded was you had to get in early, like a couple of weeks before. And we were at Broadway and we queued yeah. from Cinema Miles 1 down, down the stairs yeah. and everything. So that's the only time I remember a kind of response like this. Well, it's exciting. Post-COVID, yeah. post... Uh, it's awesome. I think it's awesome. 20 years after The Matrix and things like yeah. that. This is a whole new cinema landscape and Barbie is making a big move. So, Bruce, what's your thoughts on the film Barbie? I think my way into Barbie was at the outset when I heard that Gre- Greta Gerwig was helming it because I've loved Greta Gerwig for a long time. So this goes back before she became a filmmaker. So a lot of people might not know that she... Um, was part of the independent Hollywood, not not Hollywood, but the indie scene. Wouldn't they, it would be called Mumblecore, maybe? Some yeah, of it? yeah. She was part of that whole wave where mm. American cinema was sort of exploring. It was like um, intimate stories of individuals' lives, very stylized, experimental. So it kind of looked a bit French, new wavy, and it was not what you expected from regular American cinema. So very indie. Very cool. So Greta Gerwig found a way in. So there's a movie that I've loved for a very long time called Francis Ha. So Francis Ha is this kind of black and white. It's hard to even describe what it is. It reminds me of Brian De Palma's very early w- film. Um, I can't the name now. Uh, escapes is that me. Noah Bombas? Noah Bombach's the yeah, director yeah. of it, yes. No, no, not sisters. This is early. This is when he still uh. saw himself as a French New Wave filmmaker. Wedding. Uh, is it The Wedding, I think right. it's called, with Robert De Niro. Uh, I think it's one of his first feature, maybe. And so when you watch Francis Ha, it's 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 a one-person movie. It's it's all about about can Greta Gerwig bring this kind of internal life, and it's so beautiful, and she's so vibrant and interesting. So anyway, so I followed her through that, and she did some other stuff with uh, Bombach, who's a her um a partner. And uh, they're now almost like a filmmaking powerhouse together because he just had White Noise, remember, which didn't make a huge amount of money, Mm. but it was a big Netflix film, huge budget. And so I was interested when Gobi came on with Barbie because I knew then that this was not going to be 
for example, Michael Bay doing Transformers, right? And this is not me dissing Transformers, but when you bring a guy like Michael Bay onto Transformers, you're not trying to create some kind of significant work that's going to enter the popular consciousness on a level of ideas and positions and history and that sort of, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to derail you, but just uh, you've brought it up, Michael Bay <laughs> doing those things. He did Painting Games, yeah. yes. which I feel like the script for that is kind of like it should be a Coen Brothers film. But I then love Painting That's probably my favorite a, Michael Bay movie. It is my favorite because yeah. it's like, what are you doing here? This is not your type of script, dude. Well, I think Michael Bay was at that moment, to be honest, trying to um, resuscitate a little bit of, yeah. of what had happened to him. I, I would recommend it. It's, it. I mean, it's very masculine, but yeah. it's. I think it's if you wanted someone but it's to... also, like Barbie, it's quite self-aware. Yeah. And it's where Michael Bay starts to think... I can do a little bit more than just these yeah. very it's literally sophomoric... The, the, the Rock and um, what's his name, <laughs> Marky Warburg. Mark, standing there going, we believe in fitness. And it's <laughs> yeah. genuinely <laughs> trying, like it's that, a that, satire. They're in that weird location where they're doing sit-ups. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But their bodies go all the way backward vertically to yeah, bring like themselves like back. A, it's, it's, like like a, a it's like a Rocky montage kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it's what about ridiculous. Tony Shalhoub <laughs> as the, um, <laughs> the, the big mega yeah, crazy yeah. guy? I mean, it's explicitly misogynist at times, but I think that's the point. It's satirical. And Michael Bay is doing it. Because take a movie like Transformers, Transformers or especially Transformers, those are extremely misogynistic movies, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're sometimes tough to watch because of the way they position women in it as real play Well, things, that was right? always hard to watch to pour on Megan Fox in those. Yes, well, that, oh, well that's how I'm thinking yeah. of Megan Fox. And in fact, if you listen to the director's commentary, sadly, if anyone's interested, I did a special issue on Michael Bay and Senses of Cinema. So I had to do all of this mm. stuff. I watched the commentary of uh, Transformers. And in it, Michael Bay says that they would be cutting uh, Transformers 2 and they would drive to the local, um, it's like a takeaway joint, and get some chicken and stuff. And he goes, they go up there and then Michael Bay goes, I would just walk up to these young guys sitting there and go, hey, what did you like about Transformers <laughs> more than anything? And Michael Bay said, you know what? This is what he says on the commentary. Yeah. You know what those guys said to me? They said, just more hot girls, man. <laughs> really? That's, and he goes, and we went back and we put more hot girls in. That's literally what Michael Bay says. Wow. On, on, Unbelievable. Like, so I guess that, okay. All anyway, right. back to Gerwig. So uh, the difference with Gerwig is she's not the darling of the mainstream. She's, she is, she's got the indie kind of uh, pedigree. So to bring it to Barbie is really fascinating for me. The connection with a like a major collaboration between Warner Brothers and Mattel is fascinating to me. My take on the movie was aesthetically, it's probably like nothing I've ever seen. The I love it. The I, tone so of beautiful. it, that yeah. opening. We'll come back to mise en scene. Are, are we doing mise en scene today with these? Yes. Okay. So coming back to mise en scene, but the um, my the, the moment where I had the biggest smile was uh, the two thousand and one montage. <laughs> I think the the performances are really uh, fantastic. The world. The, I I didn't. I had a sense that there was this that the narrative was formulated on a Barbie world and a real world, but I didn't know how that was going to work. Yeah. So that, for example, the Barbie world and the real world are not are not rigid binaries. Like if you look at the Mattel Corporation, mm. they have aspects of the Barbie world in mm. how they yeah. act and the aesthetic of it. Actually, I took that um, away from it. I, I, you know, like I've seen a, it twice and a, I've, yeah, I've taken that away from of, it. Yeah. There's an interesting kind of intersection of the two. And I did think what was really brilliant was that the what prompts stereotype Barbie to project herself out of the Barbie world is the contemplation of death, which mm. is some heavy-duty 
philosophy. So that's a very Greta Gerwig thing. I can't wait right? to see that again. Yeah. Purely so, because it, at the time when I was the first screening, I was like, oh, that's what? It seems. Yeah. yeah, but now I'm ready for it. I think it's very funny. I think that the, the idea of mortality and that Barbie has to now contemplate the impermanence of the Barbie world. Mm is really interesting. So that the crossover into the real world, the kind of ejection out of the Barbie world is to say, I'm not permanent. I'm not just fixed, but I'm constantly on a process of changing and moving toward the end of things. And I think Margot Robbie gets that really beautifully. So there's a a lovely moment where she just, this is before, you know, she can't pour the the milk is off, Mm -hmm. for example, or um, when she jumps off the, when she's supposed to float down, but she just falls to Mm -hmm. the ground, like all these little gestures. Um, But that moment where she has the thought, and that to me felt like a, like a kind of classic existentialist moment that you would see in earlier, like in Lady, people have seen Lady Bird. Mm. You see Lady Bird having these kinds of moments and you see Lady Bird's mother saying things like, well, you know, what's the point of this? Right, and I think you see that picked up mm. with um, the Barbie character and the way she gets ejected. Can I just say? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Greg. One of my first thoughts when I was watching it was that the that as an inciting incident, I was like, but what prompted it? I was like yeah. worrying about what prompted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since then, I've relaxed off on that. Yeah. But you know, in the Truman Show, a light falls from the sky, yes. for instance, and then it, it Truman to tries start the whole to, meditation. To, yeah, yeah, to begin yeah. the meditation. Whereas Barbie just has. An off day, sort of? No, but there is a prompt, though, yeah. because on the second viewing, yeah. I actually think there is an inciting incident. I think it's actually really clever. So when we go to the real world and we first introduced to the character that is really uh, generating this change, this kind of awakening, mm. this this discovery, Amer- Amer- America, America Ferreira, Ferreira yeah, yeah. who is, I, I think, like, look for her for, you know, I think... Um, Supporting actress at the Oscars. What? Oh, no, possibly. I think wow. she'll be nominated. No, I think she's really, uh, I mean, we'll really get wonderful a, we'll in this. We'll get, get into it. The, who's mm. getting Oscars from But this. what happens yeah. is when you turn up, when when that character goes up to the, the, the top floor to meet the Mattel executives, mm. there's actually a bit of time given to what has happened in, in, in that in America's life, that character's life. And so she goes through a period of drawing all those different Barbies, yeah, yeah, suicide yeah. Barbie, cellulite Barbie. She's the one that's yeah. driven it. And I think that's really clever. I mean, I She's actually, the prompt. Because that is the prompt. The pr- you remember the prompt that's is true. the negative thoughts and kind of trauma that the person who owned the doll is suffering. Mm. And that's why stereotype Barbie's feeling this stuff. It's It's... It's like, you know, because America started to draw stuff. But it's clever because it's foreshadowing. It's clever because we get the result before we even hear what might have prompted it. And in fact, what I was going to say was I think that's even more impressive. I like like the unprompted Mm. contemplation of, you know, because like in existential philosophy, there's this concept called the absurd. And the absurd is something that it just hits you in the face. It's not like the groundwork's been laid over 12 years or something. It's just that oh, suddenly I look at this person and there's this wonderful line in a famous book where like imagine seeing a guy in a phone booth and he's going crazy in the phone booth, but you can't hear anything. And then the author says, and that's the absurd. And suddenly mm. your brain starts to go, wow, that is in fact the metaphor for existence, the absurd that I can't access what's going on. So I like the fact that you first get it from stereotype Barbie yeah. before it's yeah. rationalized on the back end. And to be perfectly honest, I would have preferred you just never rationalize it. Like I would have much preferred stereotype Barbie just contemplates the inadequacy <laughs> of being perfect. Mm. You know, like yeah, that's that a cool in idea. itself yeah. is the inadequacy. 
I think one thing I've learned... A much shorter movie, though. I mean, that's Because we bit. need the... Then you'd have <laughs> no real-world part of the movie. And she walks off into a lake. <laughs> <laughs> no, but one thing I... Uh, one, the, the, the women I, I speak to, the audiences yeah. who've seen it, they are so connected to that. Yeah. You know, my male brain or, you know, culturally, I'm just like, oh, what? And I need yeah. to try and work it out. Whereas they go, yeah... That's a problem. And I, and yes. the one thing that I love about this movie is this celebration or the, this d- dialogue it has with women and Barbie and the fact that Barbie means so much or even means so much as uh, not even as a doll but as a cultural yeah. thought, you know. Yeah, look, I didn't that, know that either. Yeah, right? right. So obviously my – so I'll be honest. My impression of Barbie is through a lot of the – wider popular and public discourse around the change of Barbie from around 2000 through the 2000s where Barbie was getting out of favor because uh, people were viewing it as having to take account of the rise of diversity, Mm -hmm. of identities, of um, like really nuanced kinds of identities. And then Mattel had to come to the table. It's complicated, Bruce, because I was talking to Bruce, I think yesterday, the day before or something. And I I remember, so Bruce and I, uh, our listeners, um, we grew up in South Africa. Um, just bef- a few years before the end of apartheid, we left South Africa, came to Australia. Yeah. And I vividly remember our sister having a doll. Now, I don't think it was a Barbie doll or something like that. But it was kind of like we were introduced to this concept of identity and what was the representation. Yeah. So to some extent, I, I don't think our environment or the term that I was, I was, I was using that sort of was interesting to me was that our community – was linked to these concepts in the way that some other people are. And Craig, when we were driving now, I was saying to you like a couple of days ago, I watched um, uh, the clone Tyrone. Mm. And because of our background and apartheid South Africa and, yeah. and a sort of race struggle, I could, you know, I feel I can connect or understand that community, that motivation more easily, I, I suppose, to some extent. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, this is a film for, for not for women, but mm. about women, definitely engaged in gender, and it's connecting in a big way with more than half of the world who are female. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I find the the men's rights activist conservative response is amazing. Like Ben yeah. Shapiro burnt a Barbie. I saw that. I, a, I, I read yeah. about the Ben but Shapiro, Shapiro is nuts, right? Yeah, but I read about the Ben Shapiro yeah. incident in The Guardian, and the interesting thing is... I said in the in the in the Oprah piece that yeah. I benefit from seeing Nolan more than once because there's so much packed into it. Mm. I think there's a hell of a lot going on in Barbie. Yeah, and 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 I've said I, to you I guys before we before we hit the well. record button, I was saying to you guys that but for a couple of things, mm. in my mind it would be like an instant classic. But mm. for a couple of things, like on par with with some of the the, the other you know flamboyant absurdist kind of works yeah. that that I really love. I guess what surprised me about the Ben Shapiro, but also not that overtly explicit, intentional uh, headline-grabbing activity, but just the commentary, like mm. from, is that I've now viewed the movie. I've seen the movie twice, and and it's not really about exclusivity. When I viewed it the first time, there were a couple of scenes where I'm thinking, well, hang on, the depiction of um, the the Kens on the beach, and that I felt that was like manipulative. Mm. It was like a you know that's that's I didn't like that depiction, Ooh. but it's not. On viewing it again, that's hyperbole. And there's a scene where they, you know, where they, where they, um, where they get, where they get the power back, and it's a little bit like an Ocean's Eleven heist. And there's a line where they set out and they go, "This is a rebellion," and and it's and it's hilarious. I'm like, I was in the yeah. like, it was really cool. Okay, but the, but, but um, in my point, like to that point, 
How triggered, to use their words, or to, a snowflake must you to be if that's the critique of patriarchy? I mean, it's the most ridiculous. I know. The, the worst thing is you like wolves and you sing that song. But, but, <laughs> like, especially, wrong but especially, if you contrast it, especially if you contrast it yeah. with, the, with what's the clear driver, in my opinion. Okay, so people are going to differ on this. Mm. But I actually think Gerwig's intention is for this to be an inclusive work, mm. is to present an alternative perspective that, you know, that you might not ordinarily have access to or get access to or seek out that access, but it's actually an inclusive work. The number of times that Ken is represented as a victim and as hurt through this process, Mm. and in fact, if you look at the conclusion of the movie, it's really beautiful. It's really actually quite moving. That, 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 That final conversation between Barbie and Ken is actually really lovely. It's heartfelt. Um, it's actually funny to listen to you to, to think we're talking about a massive movie you go that final conversation between Barbie and Ken yeah but you know because all our lives we've <laughs> yeah, heard this yeah, Barbie yeah, and yeah, Ken yeah. okay can I just I just got, I'm gonna put this quick note in before I forget um, now you guys have only seen it once so you might not remember the scene but after Ken gets something he goes you know the fridge the mini fridge it's so small and, <laughs> and he's going I'm so it's so ridiculous the critique and of she's the going, freezer compartment yeah, is excellent and she's going no you're just Ken you're not don't say that and then he gets up <laughs> and he slaps his face with his own oh, hand yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, by that was one of my favourite scenes I watched Doctor Strangelove oh, yes. uh, about three three weeks ago or so yeah. so I'd love to think. Which can I just say in this episode to bring up Doctor Strange Love with Oppenheimer as well? Yeah, that's the what that's the film where I go. Well, that did the best job of men in suits talking about the bomb. Oh yeah, you know, I like mean, it, that's it, it that's evokes where, so much. Well, more. two scenes when Peter Sellers keeps yeah. slapping his hand down <laughs> yeah. and slapping his face. Yeah. So that reminded me of Ken a bit, right? <laughs> yeah. And when Ken does it, even though it comes out of an incredibly emotive and moving scene, when he slaps his face, <laughs> I'm Im- I'm crying with laughter within yeah. ten seconds. I mean, I'd so much want. I wish Oppenheimer had like a little bit of that that energy and that um, satirical. And the satirical, but also like the sheer create the creativity yeah, of yeah. it. Oppenheimer, so all right, I get it. Hey, it's it's big, it's important, da 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 da. But you watch five minutes of of Kubrick's movie, and it's like. Where'd you come up with this stuff? You know, <laughs> I mean, the one, the, the the only thing I think that when they play Matchbox Twenty, so that that's an interesting thing as well because obviously to play Matchbox Twenty, they have to give permission for it, so they, yeah, they've sure. given the rights to it. So I I didn't know this, but the Matchbox Twenty lead, uh, Rob Thomas said that that was a, a song about psychological violence, which he felt was put, put against him mm-hmm. by an ex girlfriend when yeah. he was younger. Okay, so so the, I guess the coding of that. I think is really complex. So that's the only thing that I felt. Well, this this is this is quite complex. The scene, the rest I, I of it, I love. I thought the, the that scene worked beautifully, but I like the fact that because that film got some controversy in certain quarters. You know, lyrics like "I want to push you around." Yeah, but it could have the ambiguity of the line meant you could read it in a number of ways. But yeah, and also and I the same way that Ken plays it, you can read it exactly. In a of ways. Well, the way that the Kens are playing it just reminds me of any joke about any time you've had to go to a party and then it's after midnight and some someone gets out a guitar yeah. and yeah. starts playing songs. You know, oh, stop, please. <laughs> but, and then I just think that this is a, maybe an inside joke or a common experience of some women that that's one of the songs that the man always plays, <laughs> and I think that's hilarious because you know it's connected to <coughs> I'm being tortured. <laughs> <laughs> a woman, no, so sad. Which is what a lot of male songs are. I find they're often oh, yeah. like, "Oh, I don't know how to handle love." But that's not just movies. I mm. think that's the whole history of poetry and literature. You know, is, is so much about. But I'm, no, no. But I'm not yeah. saying it in the context. I don't want to sort of do something that's anachronistic or something. Um, I'm saying, you know, you could look at 
I don't know, the the, the odyssey, or you, you know, and, mm. and these are like, often it's about w- this woman and this yearning that I've yeah, got yeah. and how I've been, you know, dissed by this person. <laughs> and But I think that's, you know, that's a staple. Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely it's a trope. It's the greatest well, part of all romantic poetry. <laughs> but it's communities as I, well. I, no, I mean, that's sincerely. It is the most no, beautiful I know. thing in romantic poetry. But, you know, in, in a comical take, it's also, oh, well, But, but that's what I think Here she does go. really well. Right? It's another man complaining about something. I think that's where people who portray this as as... I guess filmmaking of an exclusive nature, ex- excluding people, denigrating people. Mm. That's where I think it's really wrong because that that whole communities thing makes a, to me anyway. It speaks really clearly. So I listen to hip hop and stuff like that, rap. You put those lyrics up against some things, you're gonna go, Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's about that community. It's about it's about what links uh, yeah. ideas between different communities. If you if you pull the scenes apart, there's a hell of a lot of criticism of the way the Barbies treat the Kens. And, and you know the the dismissive nature of it, mm. um, both at the start. Then there's the 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 period of discovery, and that obviously yeah. that the, that 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 is the the middle part of the movie. But then the ending as well is, you know, what are people saying about the apology, the, the explicit apo- apology that Barbie makes to Ken for disregarding him? Yeah, and he's going and and when Ryan Gosling says, "Thank you for saying that," like thank mm. you. Like, you know, one, I'm one has to consider that. Constantly right? reading um, critiques or um, engaged people discussing this, it's exciting because that's the process, right? Like, people are talking. Yeah. And I love that. I think I, that's, I think so that's what cool. really great, especially mass pop culture cinema can do when it generates discussion like mm. this. Yeah. I mean, the even so, this one, Oppenheimer. Uh, you know, when Top Gun came, like it's really excellent when a huge artifact like this generates this kind of discussion. I mean, the only thing is exactly as you say, Craig, I gotta, uh, um, the only thing I was going to say was um, I think we should embrace that discussion. Yeah. Right? I think we should absolutely embrace it. And people should not be afraid to go, hey, Ben Shapiro burned <laughs> uh, a Barbie. Why? Mm. You know, like, I'm a big believer in that. You have to you engage can't with just, ideas. I mean, you I just said, okay, Ben Shapiro's nuts, which he is. The point being, though, if you then would depress him and say, but why do you think this? I'm happy to have a conversation. Yeah, it can't just be, oh, that guy's an idiot, let, let it go. Y- your job is to represent your position. Bruce, as you were speaking then, I'm in the background saying absolutely useless things. I'm going, <laughs> you have to engage with ideas. I'm like Aaron out of Glengarry Glen Ross. <laughs> I'm just supporting everything. You... I, I kept thinking of... Um, Alec Baldwin in Glengarry when he goes, get mad, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and I like, I, I like that people are, when I say get mad, I don't mean get angry. I mean, get impassioned. Mm. And I really love that. And, and get thinking. Yeah. Get, like, and can, the, I, can I reference a, th- a, a brief thing on, the we- uh, uh, on Friday or so? Uh, a really lovely student at Sydney Uni, uh, re- I did a brief review of Barbie, uh, just these sort of one-minute reviews online, which people can check out on Instagram. Um, but a student, one of my students, uh, and there's so many wonderful students that you said, took issue with something I said in the review and wrote me this really lovely, thought-out careful email and aside from the fact the person was saying like i was you know i was disappointed by your view because i didn't feel and this is Mm. the way i was looking at the first thing let me say above anything else was hey good for you writing me you you feel like that you send a message and you say, hey, so it wasn't talk. a So it was a, an email, not a comment on the Instagram. No, no, no. no it was just a, oh, it was a, so it cool. was a lengthy email. And it was – and I mean people have done that in the past. And what I always and, – and what I write back to that person is, hey, fantastic, you writing. And we had this – like we had a couple of exchanges. It was really great. And, you know, I said to her, I so appreciate this. And she wrote back, 
man, I so appreciate you engaging mm. with me on this. That to me says, hey, this is what cinema can do. Yeah. It can it can really ignite critical discourse, like where you don't have to be threatened by Ben Shapiro burning a, bar, a, a doll because you know there are other outlets than crazy people on crazy It parallels to some extent if you look at the political discourse over the, the Trump period. Mm. You know, that would be closing out commentary, yeah. but it would be going so far QAnon and, and, and the like that it would become genuinely abusive and dangerous. Whereas if we can keep, you know, dialogue and 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 the idea and and idea sharing in an open transparent yeah. kind of you know it, it it sort of undermines the danger that's inherent yeah. with some with some people I, i so agree with that and i know where this is going to go barbie's going to have i would be shocked if there weren't already a number of scholarly works in the works like edited collections right mm. and often where these sorts of debates at a at like the at the level that student was pitching to me where they end up is in the works of scholarship Yeah. I would love to see that different. I would love to see it entering public discourse on the but reviews. It, it is in public read. discourse already. There's yeah, a lot but, of engagement but, with this. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, but I'm not talking about just engaging and saying, this is what I think. I hate Ben Shapiro. That I'm not that I'm talking about like a way for people well, to have discussions the, meaningfully on mm. platforms like, I don't know where, like YouTube, whatever. But yeah. where the point is, I can sit in a room with you. You and I might really disagree, and the whole point is we're going to talk about it now. We're going to rework through this. At the ending scene where America Ferrer goes, yeah, but what about just a normal person? Are you going to represent just a normal person? Mm -hmm. I really love that ending. Um, just remind me of that. I can't even remember that. Like, she, who did she say that to? To Will Ferrell. And Will Ferrell oh, okay, but, yes, But yes. then the irony of it, and the, the very clever part of it, Will Ferrell comes forward and he goes, that is an awful idea. <laughs> and then, and then, his, then his advisor comes up and goes, that's going to make a lot of money. He goes, And then Will Ferrell, without missing a beat or changing anything, mm. same tone and everything, goes, that is a wonderful idea. <laughs> so it's a really fantastic kind But, of... But, I mean, the, the, this is that thing of, can you... What's the through line, right? Because can you have it all? Because what it ultimately, what, what, what the Mattel guy is saying is, hey, if there's cash in it, I'll give you anything you want. Okay, so I just right? want to say one... And, so, and that's ultimately the nature of capitalism is to respond well, I remember to any form of desire. A similar right? thing like that is um, Michael Moore talking about one of his films, Fahrenheit, um, and that Fox or one of the big studios released it. Yeah. And he was asked in a Q&A, why would they release that when it's extremely critical of them? Yes. And he said, they don't care. Because they're psychopaths, they just want to make money. <laughs> well, this so and, he, so, they know it well, makes okay, money. I want, yeah. my, one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, okay? Um, Ken has gone back to Barbie world and he's changed everything. So Ken's wearing the mink and everything like that. <laughs> and now they've created the Ken doll and the Ken world. Under, I don't remember the entire thing. You know, the Casa Dojo yeah, figure, yeah, yeah. Okay, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, so then <laughs> it cuts to – so Will Ferrell is on the phone and a guy and, – and, and, a, and a, a person in the warehouse – calls up, he goes, no, no, these Kens are flying off the shelves. I've never seen anything like this. Now listen to this line, okay? Warner Brothers has started auditions for the Ken movie, which is already a blockbuster hit, and we haven't started filming yet. I mean, it's just that... Hey, like, that's in the movie? That's in yeah. the movie, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. This goes back to what you just said, Craig, about mm. Michael Moore saying, yeah, yeah, but there's... They're psychopaths, right? Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. want to, They yeah. don't care if it's criticizing yeah. them. They care what the bottom line yeah. is, and and that is the nature of capitalism. We're not capitalism, you know. If, well, from a, from a Marxist right. position, is to strip the ethics out of well, a psychopath. Psychopath is harsh. Capitalist. Yeah, yeah. But um, but but the interesting point is then, where does Greta Gerwig situate herself in that? Because 
that is an awareness but that's, from her own position what, that, okay, my, well, you know, they don't care what this movie says or mm, what it doesn't say. Mm. They know the Kens are going to fly off the shelf. They know the new Barbie line is going to kill it. They know that the movie's going to do one and a half billion. I think that that was one thing that in my head, as I was watching, the experience of watching yeah. my head was flicking back and forth going, what's your point of view here? What's the yeah, oh, but politics? The, yeah, I, I, I should admit, yeah, that also but, was very so much my point of view. But, but what, what I f- I'm excited to watch it again tomorrow because I'm like, yeah. okay, I don't want to think about that yes. now. I just want it to be stupid and fun and let's yes. go. So yeah. I love it. See, for me, it, it's, a, it's, it's like a consummate piece of entertainment. Mm. But for two things. One is I don't think the Will Ferrell sort of, I don't know, halfway point between the real world and the Barbie world mm. and their inclusion, I don't think it works that I well. I think it's because it breaks the dichotomy. And also, I don't it's think the, the writing, only thing in the film that yeah, does. I don't think the writing works as well. I don't, I don't like the, I don't believe the dynamic. I didn't find it interesting of the, the, the guy taking the lift all the way to the floor. And like Will Ferrell is naturally really funny. Mm. So when he goes, tickle me, you ever go tickle me. So that, that's, all, <laughs> that's all absurd and crazy. But I didn't think that worked as well. I do love the bit where all the corporate people are rollerblading. Yeah. And if you look two thirds back in the pile, there's like a, a gray haired man. I don't know if he's been makeup yeah. though, but he's like 65 years old in rollerblades. It's hilarious. So all, but I, I don't think that was, I th- for me, it was a diversion from what was a lot more interesting in the work. And the other thing is, I can't help but think Gerwig missed an, a, a beat with not having Kate McKinnon in the movie more. Because every time she's... Who's Kate McKinnon? Which she, character? She's Weird you? Barbie. Weird. Oh, she's so amazing. Every time you put Kate McKinnon in anything, mm. if you look at her in uh, like uh, the, the Ghostbusters remake or in other things she's mm. done, she is just a, a comic genius. Mm. So to, to, to not use her that much, and I think to use her more as a, a narrative bridge... Mm. Like does, it, it Actually, doesn't, that's it a great point. Enough, she is used mostly as the narrative breach. So th- that to me was a that to me unfortunately was a bit of a loss. But you know, some people might not like Kate McKinnon as much as I do. So I get that. Yeah. You gotta you gotta pick yeah. and choose what you what you want to put in I'm the movie. I'm not gonna critique it, but I wanna jump on who I missed out on seeing more of. Jamie Demetrio, who Who's that? He's he's a British comedian of Greek uh, heritage. He he plays an ama- the my favorite British comedy in years is called Stath. Let's Flats, which is short for oh. Stathros, Let's Like Rents Flats. So he plays a terrible real estate agent. It's an amazingly <laughs> comical. What's He's, that on? I, it's I on. Check um, it out. It's on BritBox in Australia. I, I got BritBox exclusive to BritBox. You should watch. Oh, that. I want to check it it's out. Okay. Very Is funny. he the dude that's standing next to Steve Coogan's buddy? You know, Steve Coogan does the thing with... Uh, Rob, 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 No, 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 no. Oh, no, sorry. He is... Um, Will Ferrell's one of his underlings. He's ah, the okay. taller one. Okay. Who's got a very good comical... Th- so he's in The Great. He's in um, Fleabag. He plays the guy with the bad teeth in the first season. Yeah, yeah, or second yeah. Season. I, I yeah. can picture this, yeah. He's a very funny... He's on the bus. Extremely is it, is funny. In the fle- is I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, but he's... Just excellent, and I wish he did more in this yeah. movie. I was really wanting him. To, I was waiting for him to do something <laughs> else. Yeah. But, so I was, and the other big. Um, there are so many cameos that we can't even mention now. But Emerald Fennel <laughs> plays pregnant Barbie. Mitch. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And but she's the director of Promising Young Woman, which is like one of my favorite gen- films about anything, but yeah. also just film about gender and and violence and stuff. This movie is going to be studied for ages. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you something else that I learned yesterday after watching it a second time is that so did you guys have the question who the hell is Ellen now I love Michael Sarah right but I love Michael Sarah <laughs> oh, Alan? From, Alan. Yeah. I love Michael Sarah <laughs> yeah. way back from um, the Barbie thing right like, I know I don't but know. So Alan yeah. so here's Alan here's so he's Ellen in the Barbie universe yes yeah, Alan okay. first appeared 1964 <laughs> okay but guess what well Ellen became Ken's best friend now here's the interesting thing 
Ellen and Ken were exactly the same size <laughs> because I wanted to sell more Ken clothing and you could double it up on Ellen. Oh, Here's wow. Here's the interesting thing. Ellen started dating Meech, okay, <laughs> in, in the Barbie universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 2002, now, but I believe in 2002 they had a marriage. Mm. Meech and Ellen got married. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, it's downhill as, <laughs> as IP, right? Yeah. Then Meech fell, falls pregnant. And remember with the Helen Mirren voiceover where she yeah. goes, but a pregnant Barbie is yeah. just downright weird. <laughs> Watching this movie, I kind of wish I'd grown up more with Barbies myself, yeah. and understood so that a lot I could of get those jokes because I reckon yeah. they'd hit so much better. Yeah, if but you see, knew. Bruce and I, we, we didn't know anything about Barbie whatsoever. No. Yeah, I didn't know any of the story, the the kind of. I just knew Barbie and Ken. Yeah. Okay, so we've gone for quite some time. I'm just looking at the time now. I think um, maybe instead of in lieu of doing full miss on scenes, we'll just yeah. do brief discussions of uh, some of our favourite scenes. Mise en scène. Is there anything from Oppenheimer that stood out? My favourite scene, obviously. I mean, Herschel, okay, it's yours. Okay, l- let, you me, have... let me just um, say what my favourite is. Look, I think there's a hell of a lot going on in Oppenheimer. I think mm. the opening, for example, with the Apple scene, I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. When the atomic bomb goes off, mm. Christopher Nolan brings all the detail that he brings to all of his movies in that scene. So the light, the audio that you don't hear because it's traveling on a sound wave as opposed to a light mm-hmm. wave. Mm-hmm. The, that was my favorite, I thought, because yeah. it was a, a, a beautiful, it was a, in effect a silent image of a massive explosion. The only thing I think they missed, and this is a famous thing actually, is because of the nature of a mushroom cloud, mm. it creates a U in, in the sky, like a, like a color. Right, like a yeah. purple haze kind of thing. Mm. I, I didn't see that in the movie. And the other thing is, as the, the shockwave works its way, mm. now they were a long way from it, right? Which is a discrepancy between the light and the sound. They were mu- like miles away I think away it's like it. 25 miles. But you would have encountered like the heat, and, and that's well documented, the heat coming off, ah. of the, off the explosion. And I would have thought that Nolan would, would want to demonstrate the heat aspect because obviously that's where the disruption comes from and that would have linked us more to the actual bombings at uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki the the destructive nature of the heat wave that comes along with mm-hmm, the detonation yeah. so they don't include that but the light the audio of it the close-ups of the faces mm. um, the people lying the, go- the, the goggles mm. Um, mm. all of that is tremendously accurate I just want to say in regards to the uh, atomic testing, I made a documentary with a, a woman from Arunda, which is sort of a north, a, a land north of um, Alice Springs um, in Australia, in the centre. And uh, there was some atomic testing in the 50s and I think the 60s here, and we made a documentary called History Bites Back, which in Australia you can watch on SBS or NITV. You can watch it on their, their server. But we do a whole... Um, segment about because the documentary covers four aspects of her life in living in the desert and under this the Australian white government and stuff but there's a whole sequence on testing and Stephen Oliver from Black Comedy who's very very funny um, he's famous for doing the sketch called What's This Then Slut and it's the titters um, uh, we do an excellent <laughs> uh, look at um, <laughs> The bombs going off and the destruction it caused, and also oh really? You mean oh, the Hiroshima? Yeah, no, no, no. The the, the tests in, oh, in in Australia, in Central yeah, Australia, atomic yes. testing mm. in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Central. I've which, read a bit about this. Yeah, yeah. and and it, like the testing, and and I read another First Nations um, critique of the the Oppenheimer stuff, like mm. Los Alamos. Is that what yep. it's called? Yep. Yeah, like the, the, they cleared the land immediately of anyone. Um, and and there was a, a like a, the Mexican population that were living there had it moved there or had but were indigenous not just that there. though they also made them work there and but not just like yeah. the, the other the reason I I mean hubris is a strong word but it's also like science 
trumps human life. Oh, absolutely. And, because, but I, I just really quickly, Craig, yeah. the amount of illness mm. that eventuated from the testing, not the dropping on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which obviously left it, left it to its own um, radio radiation. Mm-hmm. I'm saying from that one test at Los Alamos, mm. right? The estimates on the damage that did to generations of people mm. who, like, were not far enough away. Like, they, yeah, and they didn't know what was going on. There was a whole story about, oh, there's this, you know, they're doing some agricultural work over there. They, these people didn't know what was going on. So, well, similar thing in this country. Um, uh, Uncle Yami Lester was a, um, an, a First Nations person from the edge of WA, where the wind changed after one of these tests and just irradiated all of the lakes and killed most of his um, country, his tribe, wow. and they drank from it and he went blind from it and he was blind his whole so life and he was a well-known um, Australian uh, activist against that stuff and, and got that information out yeah. there. Because otherwise, and there was this famous case with Matu women, um, another tribe up there, uh, they, they were not even going to check if anyone was there like this false belief in our country of terror, what is it, terror Terranalia, yeah. that no one exists on the land. It's like, yep. well, so we'll just do some tests of bombs there. What, what do yeah, you... but see, even more nefarious is, yeah. I know there's someone, I'm not saying these people are awful, evil, nothing like that. I'm just saying, what if you know they're people, mm. but you're saying the value of what I'm doing is so great that yeah, they that's, are... Well, that's, 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 that's the British the of our world. in our country. That's, yeah. that's what colonized... Yeah. Really no, 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 but I'm saying it's our job to go, whoa, a second, we I can now be critical. I can yeah. say, yeah. well, hang on a second, I draw a line there. But that's you, why in our conversation at Oppenheimer, we, we had that discussion of, should Nolan have shown the like, at least the image of the bombings? In my opinion, yes, because that's an acknowledgement of the physical damage that takes place. But we've place. never acknowledged anything. Yeah. I, 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 I looked mm. up the numbers. Yeah, I would like the movie and to have been more of an acknowledgement. All right, let's move on to Barbie. You yeah. reminded me in the card today, there's that dance sequence. Oh, it's... And it's so, it's an abstract dance sequence and it reminds me of a moment in a musical from the 50s called Oklahoma, which was, yeah. who, who is that, Gilbert and Sullivan or Roger yeah, and Hammerstein? It's one of those Hammerstein. 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 Uh, but in the musical, the film version, they do what they do in the, the musical, which is go to a ballet. But it goes from, I mean, a, a lot of it is on a stage, but it goes to very deliberately cyclorama, just giant colour. Yeah, but they, they dance introduce in massive front disco of. into it. I love yeah, the disco. Yeah, so oh, in Barbie, they do a very awesome. similar yes. thing, and it looks like it just harks back to so much stuff. And it just made me go, oh, there's so much more creativity in Barbie, yeah. <laughs> you know, of, of filmmaking and of yes. scenes than there are in Oppenheimer, in my the, money. Yeah. The disc is, uh, <laughs> did anyone see Zoolander? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Between um, uh, Derek yeah. and um, <laughs> you know Hansel, what's it? Hansel? He's so hot right now, right? Yeah, yeah, Did yeah. anyone see that where they like do a dance and they shoot it over to the yeah, other yeah, person? Yeah. But like, there's that, that that whole film is. Full, the, I think they're like companions. Those two films because they're about completely models, they, but also dolls or the idea of aesthetic beauty. And, and it's. I like, also wonder if because the other way you play the Mattel people mm. is to play them as wacky sinister people mm-hmm. right and i wonder if they didn't do that because of zoolander and playing the corporate nutcase yeah. well, of course you've got will ferrell yeah. in both yes. roles and, well, the, and, yeah. and i thought maybe they wanted to differentiate it a bit yeah because i actually think he's better in zoolander i think like, like you said i think he doesn't quite work for me 100%. it's because i don't think the contrast exists in zoolander yeah. 
You know the bit where he spits that milk all over his assistant <laughs> yeah. and, and they go, oh. <laughs> like that absurdity. Yeah. I think Gerwig stops short of that. Now, I don't know yeah. if that's a studio decision because from what happened previously in Barbie, like the first 30 minutes of Barbie, it'll go down as a, as, as a one, classic uh, Yeah. Can sequence. I just say one thing that we keep forgetting because we know Greta Gerwig and we knew when it was announced what this would mean for the yes. film. But if you're a kid. Yeah, and you don't know Greta and Gerwig And it's the Barbie is. movie. Yeah. This is a, a bl- mind-blowing. Like, yeah. it's, like it's like going to see Despicable with me three or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a property that you feel safe with your parents yeah. going to watch in the cinema. But this is what well, we you know, get. I'm taking Byron to see Barbie. He's desperate to oh, see I it. Can't so wait. that's my next. Yeah, I'm going I'm, with a bunch of I'm kids tomorrow. I'm very excited to see it. With just you. really quickly, mm. um, I don't want us to leave before we just quickly talk about the the opening scene of Barbie. So oh, can I, I wanna, the 2001? Yeah, yes. remember the the African savannah yes. escape in 2001? <laughs> yeah. Now, using if you look at the Barbie thing closely, the the Barbie version closely. It's very much like pastels, and it, and it's almost like drawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it cuts to, like the, the the group of girls, but that one girl, she's got so much emotion <laughs> in her face. <laughs> she's I, the best. Uh, she's gonna become like a a, a star out of can just that be, performance. Can you imagine how uh, what her school life is like at the moment? Like how nah. cool she would be. But uh, she's so she's I loved her. The it was shorter than I than I remember from the first viewing of it. Yeah. But it carries a hell of a lot of power. Yeah. But it's, because yeah, it's, it's such just, a good sequence in general. Yes. I mean, you gotta say, well, Kubrick did it first. But I remember before I'd seen two thousand and one, even in the eighties and nineties, there'd been enough cartoon jokes, yeah. there'd been enough comedy show jokes where they use that music also Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the genius is to riff on it. That, yeah. like it's, it's the always, way she riffs. All right, time to start wrapping up. Which film out of these two do you guys like best? I gotta I, see. I, like I said, I gotta see Oppenheimer again. My sense would be Barbie. Mm. Um, Oppenheimer is not the kind of movie where I can say, but it's like every Nolan movie. I don't go home and watch Interstellar. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm done with it. Okay, so it's. it's and said that no, you would. He's too cerebral. I, you I would write into a into a young Timothy Chalamet, I should say, if you did watch Interstellar. Oh, that's right. He's oh. the he's the little kid, the brother. This guy, the Chalamet fan, he's hey, non-stop on oh, this guy. Blood de Chanel, for my birthday. Guys, he's playing Bob Dylan. Yeah, 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 he's playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so and as I told you, he's playing Willy Wonka. So I, know, I just saw the preview. Oh. Yeah, that looks. I'm taking see, Byron. See to the, the Byron sword, he can't See the wait. backlash against um, Hugh Grant for playing. An all right, Wonka. all right. Now yeah. listen, I loved Barbie. What do you, Herschel? Yeah, I need to see Oppenheimer again. I think Barbie's gonna go down as as a classic. Mm-hmm. I'll watch Barbie again because I do want to see the Will Ferrell corporate mm-hmm. angling it and see if I if I. You know, perhaps I mean, maybe Barbie's got the staying power of the stepbrothers. All right, well, that's it for our Barbie Heimer episode. Regardless of what you think of these two films, one thing is for certain cinema is the real winner over the last <laughs> few <laughs> weeks. People are coming Why back, and it's, it's very It'll never be the exciting. same, Anderson. It'll never um, be the same. Now, don't forget to follow us on our Instagram, Film versus Film Podcast. And join us in a few weeks' time as Bruce will be presenting the opening night film at the Ritz Cinema in Randwick. Uh, the opening is, uh, for the Argento Festival is The Bird with a Crystal Plumage, which I rate among Argento's best movies. Come out to the Ritz to see these. Uh, I think they're all in 35 mil. You're, you're going to see us there. That, we'll all be there. We're going to be at most of them. So, <laughs> and if you see us, come and yeah. say hello. Yeah, best day of your life if you meet us. <laughs> Craig, um, you get Craig, to meet us. Well. But we're, we're also just presenting uh, a special episode just for that, the Argento Festival, which is um, we're going to do opera, Argento's yes. opera versus uh, Lucia G- Guadagnino's, Guadagnino's uh, Suspiria. Suspiria. Yeah. And... 
check out both of those. Opera's trickier to get a hold of, mm-hmm. but you might be able to find, Tubi might have a copy, or you might even find it on YouTube. Maybe Plex, someone's put Plex, it that'll, that'll be coming out in yeah. about a month's time, yeah. and then we'll be on to our season two, with um, starting off with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse versus Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes. And I'd like to announce the second film now, as a special treat Ooh, for our... Excellent. Movie, which is going to be all about time travel, as we do uh, Arrival by Villain Vu. Villeneuve. 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 What was that? Which one? I said Villeneuve. I said Villeneuve. Versus Zemeckis' Back to the Future. Back to the Future. So that'll be our second episode. So that'll be all about time and plotting and narrative and communication and love. There's going to be a lot in that And we can turn that really nerdy to talk about philosophies of time in Hollywood. Well, I think we've got to calm down this science (laughs) talk. I don't understand what's happening. I'm not bringing science to Back to the Future. I'm bringing Roy Mo. I'll be crying through that episode. I'll be bringing plot to that. I love the plot of that. All right, so that's it for this uh, this uh, very special blockbuster season. Which has been season. fun. It's it has been, been yeah, a lot of fun. It was it's, idea. It was it's great. It was fun. actually it's gone really it's great. Probably, it's been fun, and because it's been a bit unexpected, it kind of made it a bit more fun anyway. Like yeah. Yeah. It didn't turn out the way I thought it was yeah. going to turn out. Yeah. All right, enjoy cinema, and we will catch you soon. I've been Craig. I've been Bruce. I've been Herschel. Join us soon for Film versus Film. Take two. Film. Verse. Film. Film.